Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 252, How My Habit Ended. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. I'm recording this episode today on this topic. Um, although I know many of you have probably heard this story. This is not a story I tell very much anymore at all. Um, it really is a story because it's being told from today's thinking, which is the only option, obviously. Um, and that's 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 it. <laughs> that's the best we can do. You'll hear as I talk about this that I don't, I don't, there's a lot more questions than answers. I don't know exactly how my habit ended. I don't know exactly how any habit ends, um, even though I've seen it happen for myself and for people thousands of times now. You know, so much of it is inexplicable um, and happens at a level that I, I really just feel is energetic. It's kind of just an, an energetic shift, a rise in consciousness that words can't capture. We don't know. And then our mind scrambles to, um, to connect dots and say, oh, then I had this insight and then this behavior changed. And, and there may be something to that, but I'm very suspicious of it. I don't really believe my mind's dot connecting so much. So we can tell the story. That's great. There's, there's value in people hearing the story and hearing things from it, but it's definitely a story um, from how things look today. And I don't want anyone to listen to this and think that, um, that oh, if I just have those insights, as if we have any control over that, but if I just have those insights or if I just read this book or do those things like Amy did, then this will happen for me. It's, it's not really like that at all. Not at all. But... There's so much that I've seen, especially over the years uh, in, with helping other people through their habits, that when we look in this direction, when we get curious in a direction, so much starts to shift. So although we can't say exactly what led to what, we can, but we, we would probably be wrong most of the time. It's okay. We don't need to because because it does feel very reliable. This is also a bit of a paradox, but when something in us allows us to look in a direction and be curious and, and be open to seeing things in a different way, we tend to. And when that happens, all kinds of, of things that, um, that hold us back in life tend to shift. So anyway, I was saying I'm recording this now, um, telling this story now because I was asked to contribute to a book um, that's going to share stories from people who had diagnosed issues, I guess. Um, like bulimia, binge eating, anxiety, which I also had, uh, all kinds of different issues that people are sharing their stories of how they had this diagnosed problem. And they looked toward this understanding and found freedom that way, as opposed to through traditional means. So in order to kind of tell my story, um, I thought I'd do it here and share it on the podcast and and let other people benefit from it um, rather than writing it or something like that. So, um, again, I, I just can't say enough that this is just sort of a, my mind now going into time and trying to weave this into a story and that in truth, it's just kind of feels like a shift in consciousness or something shifted on an energetic level 
that had everything looking and feeling a little different. And I and and not just in my case. Again, I think for I think for everyone. I think that's how it works. And I think that's incredibly hopeful and exciting. You know, we don't need to know what leads to what. We can just let our curiosity and in most cases, in my case for sure, our suffering be our beacon. Like our suffering gets to to a point where we we are just we want to see something different. This cannot be it. And often we try so many things over and over, and you'll hear this in my story. I tried so many things over and over again that didn't do it, that I that finally my mind had to say, okay, I surrender, I give up. I'm not going to find the answer. My mind is not going to find the answer to this. It's not that I just didn't do those things well enough. Like there's there's got to be something different, a totally different place to look. And when we're open to looking in a totally different direction, that's when really, really great stuff happens. So I was given some guiding questions like, you know, what was it like when you were in your habit? What was your diagnosis? Uh, what are some of the insights you had? So I'll, I'll kind of let those sort of lead my, you know, kind of guide my story here. So what it was like. <laughs> I always start, um, I, I tend to start with anxiety when I'm talking about my binge eating bulimia habit because it's all the same. I really can't even see it any differently. So I just had this high level of anxiety for as long as I can remember. I mean, it really probably started around five or six. Um, I had some twitches back then. I was just an anxious kid. I started having nightmares. I was afraid, I had like separation anxiety. Um, and that's when I remember it anyway. Um, and that anxiety, you know, just, it's just this, it was just this high level of feeling and thinking that felt so real. I mean, as a kid, especially, you have no idea that your thoughts aren't true. It, you know, it's it's the strangest thing. And I was a, still also a happy kid and I was free and I played outside and, you know, I have all kinds of nice memories. Um, but this was sort of, it would just kind of switch back and forth, this this anxious thinking and, and anxious feelings. Um and those continued and took on different forms and different storylines, of course, as it does, different feelings and different physical symptoms. And finally, when I was, um, I guess, probably around 22, 23, um, I was diagnosed with panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So I just had a bunch of general anxiety. Um, that's such a funny diagnosis to me because it's like, eh, we'll just call it general. <laughs> we don't really know. We'll just call it general. So. Um, so there was that, but there was also this panic disorder thing because I was having a lot of very acute panic attacks. Um, I, for that, and this isn't a story about anxiety for the book, it's about my, my eating disorders. Um, but just between us for that, I did some therapy. I tried Xanax for a little while, just didn't do anything for me. Um, I would take it and get super anxious about what this drug was going to do. So that didn't last, that didn't help. Um, but I did some kind of, I guess, I don't even know what kind of therapy that, kind of exposure therapy, really. I would spin around and I was afraid of getting dizzy, so they'd spin me around in a chair. I guess that's exposure therapy. Um, I was afraid of driving and getting really hot in my car and passing out, so they'd have me drive with the windows up and a turtleneck on and pump up the heat and just to like show me that it was okay. So I don't know, I don't know what was helpful in any of that, um, but over time, the anxiety in the way that it had been showing up kind of just settled down in a really nice way. And when I was, um, 
I don't know, a couple years after that, I guess, I quit smoking. And uh, and around that time, I, I, for whatever reason, it got in my head that if I, this is what people were saying, like, oh, smoking is a way to control your weight. I had never thought of it really like that. My weight was not a big thing in, on my mind at all at that time. Not at all. Um, but somehow I got it in my head that if I quit smoking, I was likely to gain a bunch of weight. So as I quit smoking, I started dieting and I started working out regularly. Uh, I had always been in sports and stuff, but I started really exercising regularly. And I noticed, and now, now I can see this, that my mind kind of took that and made that like the new obsession. Whereas before, um, getting over my anxiety was the, was, was the obsession or, um, you know, whatever was on my mind, like getting good grades or I don't know, whatever. My mind would just find things to fixate on as they do when they're busy and there's a lot of energy there. And it found all kinds of things to fixate on, you know, throughout life. And now it just looks like it started fixating on exercise and weight maintenance and all of that. You know, again, it's easy to look at that and see like there could have been a ton of separate diagnoses in there. A ton, really. Separation anxiety to this kind of anxiety to that kind of anxiety to OCD for sure could have been diagnosed easily um, to all these different food behaviors. But but it really is just all the exact same thing. I just, it's just, it was just that my mind was finding different conversations to have. Of course, it was probably getting bored with the same conversation. So it would find different conversations and they would hook me in just much, just as much as the previous had. So I think it's really important to see it that way, you know, to really see that that's all that's happening. There, there are no real differences here in any of this. So food and weight and all of that became the new obsession. And in that I would, um, you know, diet and not eat and think about it all the time and count what I was eating and, you know, just kind of going down that path, which as it does for many people led to a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety, a lot of actual deprivation. And so my beautiful, healthy brain in order to protect me from that would have me then eat a bunch of food when I could. And, and, those binges initially, you know, I don't even think it was really a binge, but it was, you know, for sure I was trying to diet. I was trying to not eat that much. So when I felt a little out of control and ate way more than I wanted to, God, that was like just such a horrible feeling. And then, of course, my mind would suggest that I compensate for that and I just try harder next time. The next day, I would just eat even less. And that just got that whole cycle in motion. And I remember, and, and that, so that was the beginning of kind of eight years of, um, of being caught up in that cycle, feeling totally hijacked most of the time, really feeling totally hijacked by that meeting. Some days were just good days. I'd wake up some days and it would be just like a pretty average day. Some days I would wake up and it would be a day where I wasn't going to eat and I was going to exercise a lot. I can't even believe I lived through this for eight years as I retell it because it's just so hard, so hard. Some days would be the the starvation days and pushing myself physically to crazy limits. Other days were going to be binge days. And, and it's not that I necessarily decided that, although it felt like I did sometimes, but you know, there were just many times it was the day that was supposed to be the compensation day, the starvation day, that I just couldn't do it anymore. And it's not like, 
oh, this is a starvation day. I can't do it anymore. Okay, I'll just have an extra you know, serving. No, it would swing wildly in the other direction, right? And that would turn into a massive binge. And so there's really huge swings. Um, and I really felt very powerless to it. I did. Like once it started, once the energy of it, the thoughts about it arose and the energy started in either direction, I felt like it just swept me away with it. And nothing I could do would have much say. I I really had this feeling of just like, all right, well, let me just, let me just go along with it. And I know I'll wake up from this at some point. So maybe a binge day turned into three or four solid binge days. And I knew at some point I'd just be done. And I always was. Sometimes it was much quicker than three or four days. Sometimes it was probably a little longer. Same with on the other side, you know, it just felt like it had this pull And all I could do was just go along with it until it kind of spit me out on the other end. So it was such a powerless feeling, such a feeling of like, whoa, this is way bigger than me. Um, And just to say a little about what this actually looked like in a day, in case this is helpful for people, I mean, or not really in a day, but I don't know, in a month. When it was like a binge mode day, I mean, I just, again, felt completely powerless. I would leave my office at lunch. I worked at downtown Chicago in a big office and there were all kinds of restaurants and and grocery stores and all kinds of stuff around. And sometimes I just would sit there and this feeling would just start to well up. And, you know, in hindsight, it was just some energy. It was just a feeling. And often it was maybe like, oh, I don't want to do this project. Or did I do this right? Or did did that person just give me a dirty look? Like it was that kind of stuff. Maybe, I don't know, it's just feeling and thoughts attached to it. And then right away, the thought would come in about escape it, escape it. And I knew exactly what to do to escape it. And then of course, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to run and buy a bunch of food and secretly eat it every time I felt uncomfortable. So then the thought would come like, no, don't, you can't. <laughs> this is a starvation day or this is a normal day or whatever. You can't. You can't. Don't do it again. Don't keep it going. And then that was just more pressure. So again, this is nothing complicated. All it is is a bunch of heavy thinking and a bunch of feeling that I was just pushing away almost without realizing. I mean, I guess I, guess I knew I was pushing it away, but again, it felt, it didn't feel like anything I was doing. It felt like everything in me was like, no, can't feel this. And if that means you have to go eat a cake right now at lunch, go for it because that's, there are no other real options. Um, so how it looked in those regards was buying food, hiding, you know, none of this obviously was done in front of anyone. Um, oh, so many rituals, so many rituals around then having to discard of the evidence and then having to compensate for what I'd done. And um, oh my God, that... Uh, Oh, I love that girl. Like, it's just, it's it's so hard, so hard. The effort and the time and the energy that all of this took, it's crazy. It's so, so much, so much. And yet I was starting a career. Um, I was newly married around this time. Like I, you know, it kind of got worse after I got married, but it's, I remember planning my very first binge. I remember planning it and the relief from planning it because I had been in this diet mentality and right and wrong and so strict. And then I remember just, it was, I, it was at one of my first jobs and, and 
I just remember this so clearly. Um, I lived in Chicago and my husband didn't live there yet. He wasn't my husband at that time, but he was finishing up a job where he lived and he was going to be coming to live with me soon. So I lived alone. And and I just remember sitting in this office that I had in, in this big skyscraper and just feeling the horrible. And somehow it entered my mind like, oh, that would be awesome <laughs> if I could just go buy a bunch of food and like go eat it at home and just get rid of the evidence. Maybe he did live with me because I remember frantically getting rid of the evidence. But um, I remember the relief of planning that. Nothing was eaten, but just the thought of it. And again, I think that really speaks to that, just the deprivation. Like my brain was like, yes, that would feel good because I, because I was so hard on myself otherwise. So, um, so things like that, just for anyone who's not familiar with binge eating, bulimia, how that shows up, that's, that's the kind of thing. Um, so many lies, so many excuses to go out and, oh, I'll go do this thing. I'll go run that errand. You stay home just, you know, just so that I could have some freedom to engage in this habit. Um, it's, it's so hard. It's really horrible. So um, it didn't take long for me to seek out help. I mean, I think I was seeking out help the whole way through. Of course, starting with my own promises to myself, so many promises, so much willpower, so many of just my own plans, so many times of throwing food away, like, you know, just deciding, just getting that kind of resolve. Like, no, that's it. I'm done. It's like when the smoker like rips up all the cigarettes and flushes them down the toilet, like that kind of thing. So many times of that, so much wasted money and so much wasted food. Um, But none of that worked. You know, none of it worked. And that was so demoralizing because now, you know, I already felt out of control over these urges and over this experience. Like I couldn't sit in a feeling and now I couldn't even trust myself because I would make this promise to myself that never again, starting Monday, whatever. And it just, it never, ever lasted very long. And that's horrible and really hard to go through because now I just felt like, gosh, I'm really, really far gone. Um, so I did eventually go to therapy. I went to several different therapists and and my diagnoses were binge eating disorder, bulimia. Um, there was like the eating disorder not specified or something. Again, that's kind of the kind of the catch-all. <laughs> like we'll throw you in a bucket if we have to. Even if it doesn't have a label on it, we're going to throw you in some bucket. So there was some like random eating disorder uh, diagnosis. Um, again, it's so irrelevant. It just looks so irrelevant to me now. It very easily could have also had OCD and anxiety and all kinds of other diagnoses if I had asked for them <laughs> at that time. Um, so I did some DBT, um, dialectical behavior therapy. I did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. I went to um, a pretty well-known eating disorder clinic through uh, the University of Chicago. Like that was kind of, I mean, I had to, that's when I had to tell my husband about this. It was a, it was a big thing. I had to go and um, it was all outpatient, but it was pretty intensive. And um, because it was through a university, it took a lot of time, you know, because they were also learning and studying you and all all kinds of things. Um, and 
there were little things in that that were helpful in all of those that were helpful along the way. Like sometimes I would just have a really kind therapist that I just enjoyed talking to. And as weird as that sounds, like that helped. There was nothing they were telling me that was all that helpful. Uh, but it helped. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it felt like it helped to just be getting help, if that makes sense. But it never really helped. You know, it didn't stop anything. It, had nothing, it didn't really make an impact on my habit much. Um, and I, and I remember a lot of, sometimes more than others, I guess it depends on the therapist and the approach and all of that. But early on, especially, I remember a lot of questions about like, oh, well, you recently moved and you're new in your career and you're recently married. And like, as if those were the thing, I very clearly remember this with one therapist in particular. And I was like, it just never made sense to me. It's like, okay, so there's a lot of change. Okay. Like, but all of these are good things. And I, and, and in a weird way, like almost, um, wondering, wait, am I, am I deluding myself? Like, are these super stressful? (laughs) Am I like maybe not happy in my career or my marriage or whatever? But I mean, I knew that wasn't it, but it's funny how we can get kind of convinced when we're looking for the, the source of a problem, of what looks like a problem, we can get really convinced that there is one <laughs> and that what people suggest is probably it, you know? So, um, yeah, so that was not helpful. Um, in addition, somewhere along the line here, I was studying to be a coach. I was very, I started meditation. I used to go to the Zen center there. I was never a, a good or consistent meditator. Um, but I studied Byron Katie's work like a lot. Um, I was really into all sorts of self-help. Um, I did I did hypnosis. I did energy healing. I mean, you know, in eight years and a person like me who's already interested in this stuff and also was pretty determined to figure this out, I did pretty much everything. Um, and, and nothing just really seemed to help. And even when I would go for, I don't know how long the longest was, maybe a month, maybe weeks, I don't know, whatever the, however long my longest stretches were where I felt relatively normal. The biggest thing is that I knew that nothing had really shifted. I knew I was just in an easy patch. I knew that just my mind hadn't gone there for whatever reason that I couldn't understand. But I, but I never felt like, oh, if this happens again, I'll be okay. It never felt that way. It felt like, oh God, when's it coming? Because if it comes, I'm screwed. But right now it's kind of nice. <laughs> and And I think that's, really important to see because now it feels like the opposite. If I were to, like if someone paid me to go binge right now, there's absolutely zero part of me that thinks, oh, I'd be back caught up in that. Not even a little bit because life looks totally different and it doesn't. But around this, it feels totally, like it just, it's just not at all the same now because things have truly shifted. Whereas back then I could try all the patches and the techniques and all of that and maybe have some sobriety, but I never felt that things had shifted. I never felt free. I just had to cross my fingers and hope that that feeling didn't come back. Okay. So how, so the next kind of guiding question in this is how did you find the principles and and what were some of your insights and how things are now? So first for me, and I, I know I've talked about this a lot, um, I came across Brain Over Binge, which showed me that this was basically brain. What I heard from that was it was basically brain conditioning. Like 
I felt uncomfortable. My brain said, we have a solution for that. I followed through on that solution. And then I just kind of kept innocently strengthening that connection. And I and it doesn't even really make sense to me now to say I kept strengthening that connection. I mean, it's really just mechanical. I wasn't I wasn't doing any of it. I wasn't choosing any of this. None of it had any logic or any of that built in. And that's helpful. Like that was extremely helpful to see that this wasn't about me. It was a survival-based brain that had learned something, had learned a habit that it associated with survival in a weird way. And that's exactly, that made so much sense because that's exactly how it felt. It did feel like survival. It did feel like so primal. It did for, for everybody who's had a habit like this where you're sitting there like, I know better. What the heck is wrong with me? This is ridiculous. It helps all of that make sense because yeah, you do know better. It has nothing to do with your knowing better, your logic, you making a choice, nothing nothing. It's deeper than that. And that doesn't mean we're a victim to it, but it's, it's mechanical. It's just, it's just deeper than that. So when I started to see that these, my brain was just working really well, actually, it was doing exactly what it thought I needed for survival. It was just kind of finishing out that pattern that had been strengthened like that, you know, playing out the conditioning that had been there. And the, the issue, if you will, was that I would experience this, this would be experienced and there would be more thinking on top of it that said, oh no, why am I doing this? Look at me, I'm disgusting. I have this horrible habit. I'm powerless. All this me, me, me thinking that had me feeling completely swept away by this and had it feeling so unbelievably personal. I mean, every single minute, I think of those eight years, it felt like I am flawed. I have this secret. I have this gross, disgusting secret. I'm a weak person. The, the level of personal, it cannot be measured. And when I saw this in a very simple conditioning brain way, so much of that went away. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And I, I, that was enormous, enormous. So we can look at this in a few ways. Like now I can kind of see it, just a lot of the thinking around it fell away. And the and the thinking, that's the painful thinking, the stuff we identify with. We think we're us and somehow we're making these choices and that's never, ever going to feel right. And then when we don't feel right, we seek out comfort, <laughs> which is what a habit is. So you can see how that just kept going and going. And to see that this wasn't personal, it took me out of the picture, even just a little bit, enormous, enormous. So for the first time, I had a little bit of space. I could almost, I wasn't like leaning into these urges and, and saying, bring it on and welcoming them and things that I talk about now. But but I, I also, like the whole contraction and pushing and shame that kept the cycle going, like so much of that fell away. And so the conditioning remained, of course, but there was a little bit of, it just felt like a little distance from it, a little it just looked different. It looked more mechanical and not like me. So around that same time, I was coming across the understanding I share now. Well, I was coming across the three principles, um, which I don't talk about too much now as the three principles, but it was a very, it was a big influence for me early on and around this time. 
And what I heard in that combined with what I had sort of seen about the brain was like, was amazing. So I really heard from the principles that we're all sitting in the middle of perfect mental health and we're feeling our thinking. And that's what I had learned about the brain, right? Like, like this isn't a me issue. This isn't a me problem. This is a feeling thinking and feeling the brain problem, quote unquote problem. And even that isn't a problem when we can see that it, that it's just what happens. It's just, it's just how, how a brain works. It's just, and, and in principles terms, like it's like thought just shows up, thought comes, thought goes. You know, I think around that time, I, it doesn't matter what I was studying, but it all kind of pointed back to like, oh, this isn't about me. This isn't my thought. This is just thought. It's just thought coming and going. It's just feeling coming and going. It's not my feelings that I have to sit and feel. It's just feeling. And I don't think I would have said this again. This is where it gets very difficult because I'm telling the story now from what I see now. And it's very much a story. I, I don't know that I would have said any of that then. I definitely would have said, wow, I realize it's my brain and it's not me. There was a piece of that that I was aware of. But I think this landed and in, in just again beyond beyond like anything I could describe or beyond what I even understood, there was this whole energetic shift that somehow allowed me to just kind of be in discomfort in a new way. And and I think that's it for everyone for every issue, anything. When we can be in what feels like discomfort, you just don't have a problem. And every living creature, I was just talking with someone about this today, like every living creature experiences discomfort. And somehow these thoughts come in and tell us that no one else does. And it's just you, or maybe they do, but not like this. And, you know, like starting to see through all of that thinking, which I did, which which started to happen as I kept studying the principles for those first, especially in those first five, six years. I mean, to be able to notice thought as thought, and see that it isn't the truth and it and it doesn't have anything to do with me and it doesn't require anything of me. So again, my mind could be plotting and planning and getting a lot of relief out of plotting and planning my next binge. But that didn't mean that I was required to do it. Like, uh, you know, and I really saw that too. I saw that. I learned that from Mark Howard that so much of the relief I felt was just in the thinking about it. I mean, binges feel horrible. Maybe the very, very beginning feels good. And then it just takes a turn for the worse. It was the planning of it. All that had happened is my thinking had shifted. So as I really started to see that and I started to feel able, again, I didn't recognize this, but when I look back, I was more able to just be in discomfort. Everything is almost like the whole habit kind of turned into slow motion. There was space. There was distance. It was still occurring. The conditioned stuff still showed up. But I just, I just could, I didn't push it away instantly. I could kind of be with it. I could not worry about it so much. I knew from what I'd learned in the principles that thought comes and goes. It's like a cloud, right? So I'm like, okay, this, this is here. Like, and I know that sounds very simple and it was not always this simple or easy, 
it was always that simple, but it did not always feel this easy. But there was more of a sense of like, yeah, this is here now and it won't be here later. Big deal. Like I didn't have to do anything to fix anything. Seeing that everything is health, everything is wisdom was really huge too because I think naturally for me and for anyone, but I'll just speak about my experience. Like, uh, you know, of course, I didn't see these urges to to starve or binge as wisdom at all. I only saw them as a major problem. Now, initially, I saw them as my major problem and a, and a glaring sign of my my flawed status as a human being. And that was really bad. Eventually, I started to see, okay, they're not my problems. They're, they, they don't signify some flaw. They're just how I've innocently conditioned my brain. And then that was a little better. But eventually after that, it, it was like, oh, no, this isn't even a problem. This is just what's occurring. It's just what's showing up. It's not a problem. It's a solution to what I thought was a problem, which was feeling, right? It's a, it's a solution. And, and it's a solution that felt really, you know, obviously kind of needed from the level of consciousness I was in, from, from feeling like I couldn't sit with this feeling. It gave me an out. And as I kind of grew past that, then the solution just no longer made sense. So in, again, kind of taking it into like practical terms, how this looked, um, the conditioned urges and even the behaviors at times showed up for a while. I don't know how long. I, I, I would have to guess, and this is just a ballpark and it doesn't matter. And sometimes I don't think it's helpful to even share this because I don't want people comparing. But um, I, I, want, I would say probably six months to a year after coming across this, I would still occasionally engage in the habit. But it, but it just did not feel the same. It, I didn't feel out of control over it. I sure as heck didn't beat myself up in the same way after it. And that's massive. That was huge. And I always want to share this with people that uh, something in in the principles allowed me to see that I, I, there's like a the slate just clears itself, that I could eat anything in one moment and it's literally done the next moment, but for thinking, carrying it through time. So seeing that was really, really big. Now, that doesn't mean thinking didn't still come up and try to carry it through time, but I just saw through that more. So that was huge because in the past, I would wake up and instantly think about how the previous day was and then make the plan for the future for that day. Um, And then that stopped. Like my mind still would go to how was the previous day? What did you eat? What should you do? But I I wasn't following through on those plans. I was best I could just letting it be a fresh new moment. Oh my gosh. I mean, that was huge, huge in the habit starting to release. And I think, yeah, I think that's tough. I think our, our mind really wants to beat us up for it or make up for it or whatever all that is. And when we can see that as just a mind trying to carry a story about me and what's wrong with me and what I need to be better, carry that story through this fictional time that the mind also makes up. When you really start to wake up to that, there is no me, there is no time, there is no judgment that is anything other than a thought, there is no right and wrong that is anything other than a thought. All of that really starts to look different. 
even if it doesn't look different for you, if you're listening to this or reading this, like just to be open to the fact that it, that it is all thought is really huge. There is no such thing as a you that, that moves through time that, that does good things and bad things and should do these things and those things. All of that is a thought created story and it can change in any given moment. Some moments it's there, some moments it's not. There's nothing in that that's true. There's nothing in that that's trustworthy. And when we're not bought into that, me through time story, me and my life, me and my habit, when, when that story doesn't, isn't so gripping, that's freedom. That is ultimate freedom. Now, again, it doesn't mean the story doesn't show up. The story shows up. It doesn't mean the old conditioning and the urges and the cravings and what we think are our preferences and all of that don't show up. They can still show up and they will for a while. Maybe forever. I don't know, some of them. But but again, you, you're seeing all of that for what it is. And that's how that started to look to me. So when I say from my initial kind of coming into this understanding um, to the ha- to when I really felt like I, the habit was behind me, if that was six months, if it was a year, I don't remember but it didn't matter because it was so different. So much was just kind of changing and shifting in that time. Um, and how it is now. <laughs> um, so it's been a while. I mean, that's that's been 12 years, something like that. Um, and, and how things look and the freedom and the, the, the seeing thought in that me story and the feelings and all of that. I mean, let me talk about the thoughts first. Like just that relationship with story, with thought, especially about me, 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 which is the mind's favorite topic. So different, so different. And it's weird, you know, people always say nothing's changed, but everything's different. Very much, very much like that. I mean, yeah, stuff still shows up. My mind still likes to talk about food sometimes, but it's just the relationship with it, the understanding of it and the and the 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 knowing, absolute knowing that that is not the valuable place. Now that doesn't mean that you don't get caught up in thought at times, but there's no value there. There's no truth there. This formless space beyond thought is where everything that's true is. It's where all the value is. It's where everything we've ever been looking for is. And I think I, it, probably true for many people, I think I heard that on some level, but it didn't really sink in until it sort of did. And it's not like a on or off switch. It's still sinking in, I'm sure. But but there's a level of really knowing that that just changes so much. And it just totally changes the way a life feels, even though the way a life feels is maybe looks from the outside pretty similar to how it always looked, you know, but it can just feel so different. For sure, the being with feeling, the being in discomfort, I think um, just the ability, and again, this is nothing I do. It's nothing I manage. It just feels like there are some energetic shifts that I can't describe that have just made it easier and even enjoyable at times to just lean into emotion, lean into feeling where that was never the case before. So those things have shifted. And I think it's worth noting that all of the things back when I was in my habit, all of the things my mind made up, because it made up a lot of stories about how this would look when I was free, what it would mean to get free from this, 
what would have to happen for me to get free from this? Pretty much none of, well, really none of those were true. So I had all kinds of, I don't know, my all kinds of stories and stuff, you know, that I would feel in control around food. No, it's not like control. It's not an, I don't feel out of control. I don't feel in control. I mean, generally in life, I don't feel in control of anything. And that's beautiful. <laughs> I don't feel like a me who has control. That's awesome. I love it. Not at all how I thought it was going to be, but way better, way better than my mind could even even make up at that time. I had all kinds of thoughts about um, the foods I would like and what I wouldn't like and how I would eat when I was free. None of that's true. None of that came to pass. I, I mean, I eat whatever I want now and it's just, there's not a smidge of management really that that needs to happen. And again, if if some smidge of feeling like control or management arises, you know, it, that's fine. That's fine. That's thought arising. Sometimes it's seen, sometimes it's not. But I'm certainly, what I'm saying is I'm certainly not free of this for 12 years now because of anything I'm doing. Not even in the least. There's nothing to manage. There's nothing to do. And there's nothing that I'm afraid of if it, you know, again, if if you paid me money, <laughs> you'd have to pay me a lot of money, but I'd probably take it. If you paid me a lot of money to go have a massive binge today, there's, that's fine. It would be disgusting. It would not be pleasurable in the least. And I would not be doing it again. And I never felt like that before. So I hope this is helpful. Again, I know many of you have probably heard this story or segments of it. And again, I just want to reiterate that it's, this is told from the lens of how it looks today from a mind trying to turn it into a story on purpose, because that's helpful for us to hear. But even what I'm pointing toward, I don't know. I don't know that this did that. I don't know, you know, I don't know what insights led to what, but I know, I know for sure, because I've seen it so many times that when we get curious in this direction and we look toward the formless and, and we're open and we, and we suffer enough that we're done and we're ready to surrender to how we think it's going to go and how we think it's going to look, really, really great things happen. With Student Access Plus, you get a very large library of amazing digital courses, discounts on the Little School of Big Change and other larger courses, and a live monthly coaching call, all for one very low annual or monthly price. Just go to dramiejohnson.com slash student dash access dash plus to learn more and to sign up.